Now today we're continuing our exploration of the Gospel of John, and we'll be looking at uh, chapter 9. And as a reminder, folks, what was John's purpose in writing this book of the Bible? What was his purpose? I'm waiting. We might know that Jesus is the Son of God. All right. We might know who Jesus is, and uh, we might believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. All right? That's John 20, 31. He tells us uh, and outright why he's written this book for us. All right? In chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, where he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And Jesus performed many miracles. Uh, John called them signs, signs that pointed uh, to who Jesus is. He tells of seven, all right? And chapter nine that we'll look at today describes sign number six, all right? And, and as we've studied, we've seen that John sort of stacks, if you will, these events, uh, like building blocks, one on, on the other, as well as the narratives that accompany the signs and go between the signs as Jesus is teaching, and, and not necessarily in chronological order, just in the order that seems to him and the Holy Spirit to be the best to get his point across, you know, to accomplish his purpose. Now, as a part of uh, today's introduction, uh, I, I, I found a, a very short, very short video, and and then uh, that that kind of fill us in a little bit about John chapter nine. Uh, but then I went off this morning and left my iPad at home. <laughs> but I found out a while ago I can do it from my phone. I'm going to attempt that, all right? I'm going to attempt to do that on my phone if I can. Let me see if I can find it. The only bad part, it's got, uh, you've got to get through the ad, advertisements. I don't have premium uh, YouTube. Anyway, this is, uh, this is what it is. If you I, need to turn the light off. It's right over the screen, though, because it's reflecting on the screen. All right, let me see if I can do that. Can you see the screen all right? Yeah. How's that make it better? Somewhat. <laughs> see what I'm talking about, the lights reflecting on the screen? I think it's over that way. Oh, I see what you're talking about. I'm not complaining, I'm just trying. All right, is that even better? No. no. Uh, not any better. It's over, <laughs> over there. All right. I'll turn this back on then. Is that better, Charlotte? That's much better. Okay. 
And as soon as I watched, I could see. Where is he? I don't know. listening to this uh, recording later that we have uh, you can find that video on YouTube it's called the blind man healed uh, slash life of, of Jesus it's number 23 that series all right so this this little video takes us through verse 12 of the ninth chapter uh, and so some have suggested that the man's begging spot that we saw in the video uh, was in a high traffic area, so he would get the, uh, his collections would be maximized. And we we know about that because we see people begging at intersections all the time, don't we? And and uh, and so that's uh, what he was probably doing. Uh, so a high traffic area might have been one of the temple gates. Uh, where there was people coming and going all the time. Uh, and it's interesting to me that, that at the beginning of this encounter, uh, Jesus' disciples were concerned about the sin that supposedly was the cause of the man's blindness. Uh, the Jews thought that all infirmities were the result of a person's sin. Uh, we, we know this because of Job's friends, remember? They told him to confess your sin. When things got so bad for Job, and his friends told him that's what he needed to do. It was caused by his sins. Uh, and, uh, but obviously, as former uh, seminary professor Dr. Jerry Phillips points out, sin results in, in God's uh, chastisement, but not all is Ill illness is uh, triggered by sin. God allows some conditions as a way to reveal his glory. Sometimes he gains praise through healing. Other times he gets glory through our response to our infirmity. All right. And so, and from verse uh, 13 and, and, and 14, uh, what we find something that's key here, I think, uh, that, that may not be mentioned otherwise. And verse 13 says, They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Uh, the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was the Sabbath. The, the, the Pharisees being the spiritual leaders of the day and uh, uh, oh no, Jesus has done it again. Done something on the Sabbath. And so what follows is just uh, the beginning of a repetitive, if you will, interrogation of of this man and uh, by the Pharisees and 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 they are the Pharisees are just after Jesus and 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 as John proceeds through his gospel here it, it's like as we've noted before just uh, as he goes along it's just like a big timpani 
kettle drum roll, you know. It just gets louder and louder and louder. Uh, this um, uh, idea of, of getting rid of Jesus, uh, pointing out things that are wrong with, with Jesus. Uh, it was their, their pride, really, uh, and their pride in their supposedly spiritual superiority over the common people. It just kind of blocks their vision of the truth of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so then as we follow through uh, then, uh, as they ask the man, you know, how did he, how did you receive your sight? And so the, the, the man, the healed man, uh, just said, told him, I said, I, I washed, uh, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and I could see, all right? Uh, and but then comes out the point, you know, well, this particular man can't be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man perform such signs? Uh, how can a sinner, a sinful man, perform such signs? So they were kind of divided among themselves, really, over over this matter. And uh, he says, well, what do you say about this man? Asking the healed man. Uh, that did this for you. And his reply in verse uh, 17 was, well, he's, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. Well, The Jews, the leaders of the Jews just did not believe all of this. And so they summoned the parents. Why would they summon the parents? Make sure he was there. Yeah, make, he was born blind. Make sure he was born blind, you know. They didn't know him. And, and so that's what they did. And they asked him then when they got the parents there, is this your son, the one who you say was born blind? And how then does he now see? And, and what was their reply? Yeah. Well, he's our son. He's our son. All right. We know that he's our son. We know he was born blind. But we don't know how he now sees. Uh, we don't know anything about this. Uh, just ask him. All right. Ask him. He's of age. Let him speak for himself, is what they said. Now then, oh, why did they, John tells us that why they said this. Why did they say this? Why the parents? They were afraid. They were afraid. They were afraid of what, of their association with their neighbors, with their association in the synagogue, you know. Kicked, they might be kicked out of the church, all right? The, the Pharisees could kick them out of the church. They, in other words, banned from the synagogue. And that's why they were cautious, all right? And so, so a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind, and they told him, give glory to God. Give glory to God. Now then, you have to kind of admire this man that stood up to these leaders, don't you? I mean, he stood his ground. Uh, but what he did, he just simply uh, testified of what had 
happened to him? And his testimony was what? I can see. I can see. And so a second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind, been blind, and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They pushed him a little bit harder than they had before. Uh, but, you know, the healed man, he was up to the task, all right? Uh, the first time was the neighbor bringing the man. The second time, they demanded that they got him come back and they demanded that he tell the truth all right give glory to god they said that and 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 i take this to be like uh you know tell the truth in a courtroom uh, of law in courtrooms of law a witness would testify and before the, the witness would testify you have to do an oath right a, a solemn oath you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. And so this was their way of saying, this, you need to tell us the truth now. Tell us the truth. Uh, and uh, implying he had, not, he had been less than truthful up to this point. And after all, they said, we know that this, this man is a sinner talking about the healer in this case. All right. And so why would they call Jesus, as we know it, a sinner? Why would they call Jesus a sinner? Worked on the Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, he, he violated the Sabbath. All right. He violated the Sabbath. Uh, how did he do that? Well, it wasn't so much the healing on the Sabbath, although that was wrong, unless it was a matter of life and death, and this was not. But, I mean, he needed mud, right? He got out and made mud out of the dirt of the ground, all right? Wrong. It's sort of like having the man violate the Sabbath by telling him to pick up your, your mat and walk. That's work, right? So... Uh, but the man was was uh, just uh, <laughs> he was not shaken by by this line of questioning. What they said, he says, "Look, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know: I was blind, and now I see." All right, blind, but now I. C. Retired seminary uh, professor Charles Ray comments say, say on this saying, he knew what his old life had been like. He also knew what it was, uh, what it was to be changed by Jesus. The Pharisees might challenge who he was and how he had been healed. They could not take away his personal experience with Jesus or his testimony of what Jesus had done for him. You know, in the song, I was, was lost, but now I'm found. What was blind, but now I see. That was his testimony. All right. 
obviously at this point, the man had had enough of this so-called investigation. He's incredulous, to say the least. He says, in a way he's saying, you can't see? You can't see? Look at verse 26. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Here we go again. How, how did he do this? Implying perhaps some sort of sorcery uh, or uh, maybe some kind of physical manipulation of his eyes. Uh, you know, now this will be the third time that he was asked to tell his story which was falling now on deaf ears. Because he says in verse 27, I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? All right. The man kind of gets sarcastic. Now, uh, do, you, do you want to become one of his followers also? And that indicates that he was considering himself possibly as one, even though up to now he didn't even know who his healer was. He just knew uh, uh, that, that someone had healed him. Right. But, he, but he was beginning to get the idea that the Pharisees weren't really as interested in his healing as they were in his healer. So they ridiculed him, it says in verse 28. They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're, we are Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man told him. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. Instead of some respect for the Pharisees, which they were accustomed, this man began arguing with them and standing up to them. And so they ridiculed him. That is, they began insulting him. You know, as an aside here, uh, if, you are, if you're in attempting to share your testimony, uh, their Christian testimony with someone and they resist to the point of, of arguing with you, they're probably not ready. They're probably not ready to receive uh, your message. So the best thing I think to do at that point is just back off, uh, tell your story and leave the rest to the Holy Spirit. Uh, because some people's hearts are very hard. It takes a while for, for that light to come through. As a matter of fact, I think statistics show that you may have to tell your story to an individual maybe over seven times. Maybe seven and a half times, I think, is the average before they respond positive to, to the, the gospel. So when they say, uh, we don't know where Jesus is from, they're not talking about, because Jesus was, they know who he was, and they know him as Jesus from Nazareth, all right? So what they're really asking here is, 
we don't know his credentials. We question his authority. All right? They say, they say that, you know, we are descendants of Moses, and Moses was renowned for carrying out the will of God. Compared to Moses, in their minds, Jesus was just a, a nobody. Just a nobody. Picking up in verse 31, they continue. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does this will, he listens to him. That's what the, where the man uh, is healed, uh, says that. All right. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone open the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Right. Well, now the Pharisees are, had already asserted that uh, the healer was a sinner. Uh, and whereas the man had said earlier that he didn't know if this healer was a sinner or not, upon reflection, his reasoning, his reasoning seems to be changing now, doesn't it? After all, he says no one's ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person who's been born blind. Mike Howard of the First Baptist Church down in Crystal River, Florida, uh, remarks about this. He says, the man says to them, look at me. I'm the evidence. My eyes are the proof. This miracle is unique. Well, as Forrest Gump would probably say, Stubborn is as stubborn does. Their pride prevented them from seeing the logic in the man's reasoning. And they couldn't stand to be the object of someone's lecturing. Uh, so they ducked the issue and they slammed the man. Verse 34, you were born entirely in sin, they replied. Are you trying to teach us Then they threw him out. They threw him out. What the parents were afraid of, man has not experienced. Right? Holding to traditional Jewish belief, they tell him that being born blind meant that he was born, he was born as a sinner. Ironically, since Adam, we are all born uh, sinners, aren't we? But as we have discussed, this had nothing to do with the man's previous blindness. Back in verse, uh, back in verse 22, uh, was where he told about. We mentioned he mentioned about the parents. All right, all right. And so the man dared to uh, challenge these so-called so-called spiritual experts. Now being excommunicated, if you will, from the synagogue, in those days, well, that was tantamount to being cut off, being ostracized from society, right? From everyone. And so you have to consider 
was it worth the price to the man for what he had done now? Well, yes, it was worth it. Because his life would now be radically different. And so the bottom line through all of this, I, as I see it, uh, is here's a transformed life. And that tra trumps all theological debate. All right? And so you share your story with someone. You tell what has happened to you because of your submission to Christ, your repentance and submission to Christ. That trumps all little arguments that people may throw at you. Just tell your story. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. All right. And so this would lead the man to do what? He could exclaim, you know what? I can really see. I can really see. In 9.35, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. Jesus heard. That means uh, someone told Jesus. And Jesus would have known this probably by his, uh, his powers. But someone told Jesus uh, about what had happened to the man. Uh, and, and so Jesus heard that he had, they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, found him, that means Jesus went looking for him. He took the initiative to go find him, uh, find the man. Then he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? All right. So Jesus, as usual, identified himself as the Son of Man. That is, identified himself as God having the nature of man. And here's the big word that... Uh, is used throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, that big word is believe. Believe. Not just agree with some facts, but to trust, to rely on, to submit one's life to, in this case, to Jesus' Lordship. So the man responded, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. And Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Up to this point, the man has not seen many people. <laughs> He's got something new for him. All right? And so... Jesus here says, says, do you believe? Well, the man was ready. The man was ready. His body had been physically healed. He now had a new life physically. What we know he needed was this. He needed a new life spiritually. And we know that God's will for was, was for him to be saved. So how did he respond? 
Well, he said, I believe the Lord. He said, and he worshiped him. I believe the Lord. Same word that's uh, translated Lord here. It's the same word that was translated sir earlier. Context. Takes the thing. Serving respect. The Lord being someone he would worship. All right. But that was his I believe. He's, and he he worshiped, worshiped him. So, what are we to make of all of this? I think that we can learn something from the attitudes of the Pharisees, can't we? Right. Justin Terrell, who senior pastor of the First Baptist Church up in Danbridge, Tennessee, he says, a few months ago, while interviewing a candidate for children's a children's ministry position, our search committee asked him the question, what are some of the biggest challenges in children's ministry today? Almost with no hesitation, he mentioned the difficulty of overcoming the seven most deadly words of a church, which are, we've never done it in that way before. Although he went on to mention other difficulties and obstacles, which generally come from the outside, his first answer reflects a deep problem that people struggle with from within, a heart that is resistant to change. We saw that in the Pharisees. Right? Overcoming a hard heart is among the most difficult challenges for anyone. In our sinful condition, our natural tendency is to feel like we know what is best and we do the things our way. Our pride often leads us to value tradition over truth. Comfort over change. Frustration over flexibility and repetition over repentance. While such a hardened, prideful spirit can debilitate ministry in the local church, it doesn't compare to the dangerous position it places those who are resistant to trust in Jesus. Such a person will be reluctant to believe and follow Jesus no matter the evidence. And that's precisely what we have seen in John chapter 9. I like what the writer of our personal study guide says on page 107. One of the last things he says there. The unnamed beggar had begun the day both physically and spiritually blind. All that changed, though, because of his encounter with Jesus. Jesus makes it all worthwhile. Jesus transforms it. And each of us who have been born again are testimony to that fact. 
All right. Do you have any questions or comments you'd like to make about this? Now's the time. All right. Thank you for your careful attention. I appreciate all of you. All right. We'll continue next week in our study of John. Let's pray. Our Father, we're so, so grateful for the written word that you have provided for us. It tells all about you. It tells all about the, your son. It tells us how to be saved and the results of that, eternal life, everlasting life. And we rejoice in that, not because of anything we have done, but because of what you have done uh, for us through the son, Jesus, in his, whose name we dismiss now. Amen.